Hear ye, hear ye. Come one and all. Join us for a free introductory journey through occult theory and practice. Learn dazzling mysteries, occult sciences, and powerful spells. Heal the sick, curse your enemies, and attract the favor of that sexy human next door. All this can be yours absolutely free. All we ask is that you tune in every other week. Learn what you can and put it into practice. Some side effects may include stress relief, a new outlook on life, and a newfound obsession with small shiny objects. Tune in today. Hey, Kevin, do you know where fortune tellers dance? Tell me where they dance. At the crystal ball. Ah, all right. How about this one? A frog telephones the psychic hotline. His personal psychic advisor tells him, you're going to meet a beautiful young girl who will want to know everything about you. The frog is thrilled. This is great. Will I meet her at a party? No, says his advisor. Will I meet her at a bar? No, says his advisor. Well, where am I going to meet her? Biology class. Ah. <laughs> He's going to get dissected. He's going to get dissected. The joke is that the frog is going to die and get dissected. <laughs> That's the funny part of it. Okay. So two fortune tellers meet on the street and one says to the other, you're fine. How am I? Uh, I like that. That's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's uh, what's that one? There was a, a quick one that I heard uh, where coincidence and fate meet at a bar and coincidence says, well, fancy seeing you here. And fate says this was foretold. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to episode three of the Fool's Guide to the Occult. I'm Kevin, and I'm a genie in a bottle. Gotta rub you the right way. Um, Is that a reference to that song? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Unfortunately, we had to say goodbye to Tyler, whose life circumstances left him. With insufficient time to commit to the show, he's going back to college, he has a few other things going on, but he may pop in now and again as a guest. I certainly hope he will. Bye, Tyler. You will be missed. You will. But, to kick things off, shall we talk journal entries since last time? Totally. Jeannie, you want to kick it off? Sure do. So, last time we spent the episode learning about meditation and visualization. And to be quite honest, with the stress of the end of the school year and some other stuff going on in my personal life, I sort of fell out of practice, um, off the practice bandwagon, so to speak. I haven't even worked out in a while, which is a bummer. But hey, bummer. I have the summer off and I don't have to teach. And there's some fun stuff going on in my life now, so woohoo. So occult practice, um, just like working out, is something that unless you um, are incredibly wealthy or unrelentingly driven, uh, life will occasionally get in the way of. And just like working out, it can be hard to get back in and going again when you stop for a while. So what I've been doing is just trying to meditate more, reattune with my ability to achieve a clear single pointed thought, which is a hell of a task for someone with ADD, but it's totally doable. So Basically, those are my notes for this week. They don't really fall into the format we discussed. It's just kind of me trying to get back on the bandwagon and get rolling again. All right. What you got for us, Kevin? Well, it's been relatively quiet for me in terms of like dream journaling or anything like that. But there was an interesting bit of, I'm going to call it a result from a thing I did a few months ago. 
the vernal equinox this year was on March 20th at right around 6 p.m. Uh, this is the second equinox since my partner and I moved into our new place. Uh, we're renting a house. It's got this really lovely fenced-in backyard. Uh, it's a ranch with an attached garage. Anyways, on the topic of equinoxes, every year on each of the equinoxes, I pick a random close-ish friend uh, who's having a bit of a rough patch or doing something difficult, and I try to get them like a little bit of good luck or fortune. I don't think that this particular casting is like a game changer or anything like that. Like, it's not going to fix someone's credit card debt. It's not going to bring their dead pet back. Uh, but it, I think, can tip the balance between unfortunate and fortunate situations sometimes. Uh, for the casting itself, I try to time it so I'm within about an hour or two of the spot-on equinox. And then I have a little ritual involving drawing a circle out of a natural material that relates to the person I'm targeting. Uh, I like the symbolism of the equinoxes because it's a time of transition. Unlike the solstices, which represent more of a particular dipole to me. So like the summerest time, the winterest time versus equinoxes are more of the in-betweens. Yeah. So yeah. to me, there's no better time to try and spin something around like luckwise. In any event, uh, the friend that I picked this March just got back from Israel and they didn't get blown up and they didn't get arrested and they didn't have rocks thrown at them for wearing pants in the wrong neighborhood on a Saturday. So if huh. that's all the benefit that she got from this particular casting, I'm going to call that good enough because things are a little bit rough over there right now. Yeah, so no if, if that's if this is how uh, this particular thing benefited her, that's great. That sounds solid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last episode, we discussed the basics of getting either further into or further out of your head without the benefit of chemical assistance. There was also a little bit of ritual work because those are going to be a major feature of being a practitioner for a lot of folks. And we want to prepare you to get out there and do the work for yourselves. So yeah, getting y'all ready to go out there and do it. Yeah, and we just wanted to remind you all that we're all on this journey together, so we'd love it if you would share what you're up to with us in social media. Let's start a dialogue, create a community of occultists working together in the spirit of free sharing of information for the betterment of the craft. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fool's guide number two, the occult, and from there join our community page, fellow travelers. That's probably going to be the best place for us all to have discussion and build a lively online occult community. And we are also on Instagram at Fool's Guide, one word. And there's a Twitter also um, if for some reason you want to make bird noises at us. Tweet. Tweet. <laughs> tweet. All right. So in addition to being interested in the occult, I'm really into radical politics and theories on power. And I was recently reading this book called The Psychopath's Bible by uh, Christopher Hyatt. And he mentions that the only way uh, people can overcome their own bondage is by mastering themselves. I feel like this is one of the major goals of occultism, especially chaos magic. The occultist isn't a passive receiver of reality or even a reactionary. You no, know, we make shit happen, you know. But in order to make stuff happen, it's uh, often helpful to have some insider knowledge. And acquiring that insider knowledge is the topic of today's episode on divination. 
divination. And as an added bonus, from here on out, I will be passively performing a ritual in the background. If you are practicing skills along with us, or maybe you're already an adept uh, controlled remote viewing expert or expert in astral projection, um, see if you can figure out what it is. Practice makes better. Oh, a challenge. How fun. If you think you've figured it out, you can post your response on the Fool's Guide community page on Facebook. There's not a prize, but we would be really excited if you posted anyways. So there might be a prize. There, there, I'll think about it. I, we'll I think about a prize. a prize. We'll think about a prize. So shall we dive into today's topic? Let's do it. So we're talking about divination. The word what is divination. Indeed. The word divination comes from the Latin divinity divinationem i am bad at latin never took it in high school didn't even Me have the neither. option which means to foresee or predict this comes from divinare meaning to be inspired by the gods which in turn comes from deus meaning god or deity so we could refer to divination as divine sight though the nature of divinity is something we've yet to cover and I think Kevin and I will have loads of fun debating this one. So, I, yes, yes, we will. We should get a really fun special guest for that episode. Maybe a minister. Yeah. Maybe not a minister. No, that'd be fun. Let's get a minister. <laughs> a Baptist you know minister. A Baptist minister. Great. Yes. A Baptist <laughs> minister can come and be a guest on the show for our episode debating the nature of divinity. That oh, is absolutely a recipe for perfect seamless, calm, rational discourse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that that poor soul, whoever they are, that poor soul, we should get someone opinionated because otherwise it'll still just be you and me going back and forth, possibly in the presence of a very alarmed minister. So <laughs> gentle listeners, keep an ear out for that. Absolutely. And speaking of Latin roots, you know that uh, drug salva, uh, salvia that was commercially available in the U.S. like I don't know, somewhere in the the two thousands. It was like the mid, early to mid two thousands. You remember that? You can get in, like a paste. I I was not aware, but oh. now that I am aware, I of course long for those halcyon days of yore. Really, I just want them to legalize weed for federal workers, but the wheels of government. Uh, turn slowly when the product might maybe benefit normal folks. Here's the machine, man. Depression is a powerful control mechanism. Truth. Anywho, the full Latin name of salvia was or is salvia divinorum and is sometimes commonly known as diviner sage. And so I have this really awesome book, um, a first edition copy of the Encyclopedia of Psychoactive Plants by Christian Ratzich. And in there, he talks about salvia divinorum. It's a, a native plant um, to the Mexican state of Oaxaca and is found in tropical rainforests at altitudes of about 300 to uh, 1,800 meters. That's about 984 feet to 5,905 feet um, above sea level for those of us using our archaic measurement systems here in the U.S., the shamanistic usage of this plant was not to smoke it as people were doing with the extract in the United States before it was illegalized, but rather to make a tea from the leaves. Uh, this would make the um, effects more mild, but last longer, up to about 20 minutes. 
And um, as the name suggests, it was used for magic and divination. The rituals would always take place at night in complete darkness and silence and would be either used for healing or divining. Ratzich notes that its primary uses um, was as a substitute for psilocybin mushrooms. So like if the shamans or people performing these rituals didn't have access to mushrooms, like if they weren't growing at that time of year or um, they, they just weren't didn't have able good luck to in finding them. a film. Yeah. And he did note that some shamans actually preferred them, but that was a really like lower percentage of the people actually preferred to use salvia. And hey, just as a random note, if you're interested in pharmacology, the active chemicals in salvia are salvinorian A and salvinorian B. So it has a distinctly different effect from other psychedelics or entheogens. Um, And as an interesting note, side note on uh, the spiritual use of hallucinogenic substances, uh, Peter J. Carroll, who wrote Libernal and Psychonaut, um, specifically in uh, Libernal, rejects the use of hallucinogens for divination purposes. But remember, that's just the perspective of some white dude in the chaos magic system. I can see that. You know, I can see uh, an old white dude being like, you need to have division from outside your head, not take the drugs to make division from inside your head. So I'm, I guess I could see that train of thought, but I don't know that guy. I don't, I don't like that guy. (laughs) Do your own thing. (laughs) is what we're saying. (laughs) Right. Uh, I know uh, you you mentioned that it's called diviner's sage. I know that regular sage is sometimes burned as a method to cleanse a ritual space. Honestly, it it smells pretty good. A little burny, uh, but good. Uh, It reminds me of disasters on Thanksgiving. Not going to lie. It's, it's, um, I don't really have that much experience with salvia, though. I think I knew a dude in high school that was big into salvia, but I don't think he divined the future so much as he failed chemistry. And I assume that we're doing something different. Hmm. Yeah. You're thinking of uh, white sage is used for um, cleansing, and that's actually like slightly sage. different Yeah, than um, the, the regular spice sage that you might have in your garden. Um, I mean, a whole so leaf sage up. you can use. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of different varieties. I'm also all for having fun and the recreational use of stuff responsibly, as long as it doesn't damage your life or the lives of others. Sounds like this dude you knew in high school wasn't doing too well. Definitely not at chemistry. Definitely not at chemistry. All right. According to Merriam-Webster, divination is the art or practice of seeking to foresee or foretell future events or discover hidden knowledge, usually by interpreting... Um, the interpretation of omens or the aid of supernatural powers. But I actually really like how Raymond Buckland describes it a little bit better. In Buckland's complete book of witchcraft, he writes that divination is more correctly being aware of forces at work that will bring about a probable result in the near future. He goes on to remind us um, that we create our own reality. Nothing is predetermined. Being a cast magician, this definitely is more suitable to the way that I interpret existence. As for tools of divination, Buckland states, they are simply a focal point for your own psychic powers, a placebo for channeling. And we will discuss some of those implements uh, next time. Some of them we'll discuss here where where it directly pertains to divination. But keep an eye out, gentle listeners, uh, for more tools of the trade next time. Definitely, Um, definitely. Personally, in terms of divination, 
I really like analysis in terms of probability and acting forces. I think it represents a more realistic view of the world. I don't believe in predestination. Power to you if you do, dear listeners. So information about what might be acting on a circumstance I care about is a lot more important to me than knowing an outcome. Uh, I, I just assume there are too many moving parts in a system as complex as the world to have set future events. It just doesn't jive. But when we learn about what might cause an event to take place, basically a stakeholder analysis on on potential future outcomes, uh, it means we know where we can apply our own influence to possibly change those probabilities. Yeah, absolutely. And we could bring in multi-universe theory and some other stuff from the wild and wacky world of theoretical physics here, but... Yeah, because we definitely have the grounds to call what they're doing wild and wacky. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean wild and wacky in the most like lovable, <laughs> wonderful, appreciative way. I love theoretical physics. And Absolutely. It's so fun. Um, and we'll actually probably get into at some point way down the line how uh, some of those theories and ideas kind of mesh with um, occultism and, and modern magical thought. You know that something went a little cross-eyed when they started naming Quark's charm and strange. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see here. Oh, here. Let's um, do something we don't normally do and quote the Bible. <laughs> Deuteronomy 18.10, it states, there shall, be, there shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells futures for interpret, or interprets omens. Of course, these are supposed to be the words of the Christian God. Interestingly enough, Christians are really big fans of interpreting global events, politics, and environmental climate change as signs or omens that so-called end times are upon us. But I could really do a whole episode on hypocrisy within Christianity or Christian culture. Maybe we probably strict... we probably won't do that. No, I I said could. I definitely could. As like a person raised Catholic, that would sure. be cathartic for me. But uh, maybe it would a strict... be. It's a healing experience. Yes, yes, it is. Um, maybe a strict history of the Bible would be warranted at some point, especially. It's not much different from an episode on hypocrisy. To be entirely fair, we'd have to restrain ourselves a little bit. But I we think would we want almost to do certainly an esoteric... need. We'd need to have that minister present to keep us in mm. check a bit. Yeah, probably. So hypothetical uh, gentle listeners who might be open-minded ministers do reach out. We'd love to talk, especially we want to do an episode on esoteric Christianity at some we point. We do. Think. So that if would any be... If you know anything about esoteric Christianity, please do let us know. In any event, I think that there's broad kind of sweeping hypocrisy and most major organized religion, most major organized groups in general. I guess I just don't like when people pick and choose from their holy book, you know, unless the yeah. book uh, specifically allows for that sort of thing. So like what's the last command of the Pentabarf from the Principia Discordia? Discordians are prohibited from believing what they read, something like that. I like I can I can get behind that. Yeah, something like that. I haven't read it since like my senior year in high school, to be honest. And I do have a copy over on the shelf there somewhere. But if I think I everybody recall, has a copy of it somewhere. Yeah, it's true. They uh, it, does, it doesn't have a table of contents in it or anything no. like that, which makes it completely impossible to look shit up. Yes, it is not a valuable reference work. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> All right, so uh, let's dive into like a little bit of theory on how divination is possible, shall we? Fantastic. All right, we're going to hop back over to Libra Null, um, Peter J. Carroll. He says that my, the mind sends ripples through existence. Intercepting these ripples constitutes the mantic art of divination. And mantic just refers to the ability to divine something or references divination itself. We were talking about this a bit ago, how how a mantic art, like something you could describe as a mancy, like tassiomancy or necromancy or pyromancy, that has more to do with you, a practitioner, causing an effect on something, as opposed to an ography where the practitioner is reading information from someplace. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, there, and there's I some stuff that kind of conversation on air, but anyway. Sorry, go. Oh, no, I, I just wish we had gotten that earlier conversation we had on air because there was that some was a good conversation. Interesting bits in it. it was. My apologies, gentle listeners. We will push the record button earlier next time. Yeah. Um, oh, hey. So um, when I was quoting Carol there, I just want to note that um, my the use of the word existence was my own adjustment to uh, the quotation. Carol actually uses the word creation. And personally, I don't find that terminology. That's clearly not our scene. Yeah, it's I don't nothing created me in my opinion. Everything just is. Yep. But what we have here is an interesting phrase is something that seems to combine um, the psychological model of magic with something similar to the butterfly effect in quantum physics. Um, it's the quantum psychological model, if you will. Very sure. chaos, magic-y kind of stuff. Absolutely. I don't think I'll need to beef with Carol the same way I'm beefing with Krieg. Like, my beefing calendar is filling up pretty quick. But I do agree that his description is not really in line with what I understand about the world. I think Carol might just be more of a product of a culture I'm not a part of. I No apologies for my beef with Krieg, though. That dude will receive no quarter from me. But huh. Carol, on the other hand, I, I don't know if that's worth it. No, nah, I like most of Carol's work. Yeah. So Carol goes on to talk about um, the natural connections certain people have, like between lovers or twins or best friends, parents and children, that kind of thing. And how when there isn't a natural connection like that, we need to create one for the work that we're trying to do. And that's really what divination is for. This, of course, gentle listeners calls back to the laws of similarity and contagion from way back in episode one, he said, tongue firmly in cheek, creating hmm. a logical or emotional connection between disparate things makes them the same thing, and identifying similarities between disparate things also makes them the same thing when it comes to uh, practical work like this. I mean, that's a, a gross simplification, but when it comes to an art as fuzzy as divination can be, this type of connection work is absolutely critical to getting any sort of a useful result. Uh, it's interesting when you start to talk about personal connections. Uh, I, a lot of people will admit to knowing um, what this kind of thing feels like. Like, you know, two lovers uh, having a, a connection um, and kind of like reading each other's thoughts or knowing what the other person is going to say before they say it. I even know atheists that will use terminology like uh, being on the same wavelength or having a weird connection with their romantic partners and uh, knowing spooky stuff and not really being able to explain how, but still using that like sort of metaphysic-y terminology while still being sure. atheist. It's kind of interesting. 
I mean, I'm I'm sort of one of those folks that uses vague language to describe phenomena that we don't really have ways to explain using hard science yet. Like, I assume we'll figure it out eventually. But for now, saying we just kind of get each other is about what we have to describe that sense of metaphysical connection. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. So up next, we have like a list bunch of, of a bunch of divination types. And I think maybe the best way to do this is to just kind of go through each item on the list and kind of talk briefly about what we know about it before moving on to the next section. What do you think? Sounds like a plan to me. So types of divination, dowsing, involving uh, a properly shaped stick or bent copper rods, uh, to my understanding, originally involved looking for water. That's my uh, understanding as well. Wander around and the sticks would move or the rods would twitch or I don't know, something would happen and you would know where there was water. And then I think later on you could douse for other things as well. But I don't really know much more about it than that. I do know that somebody sold uh, what was basically a glorified dowsing rod to the British Army as a bomb detector. Um, It didn't work. It was a dowsing rod. It was a metal rod in a plastic handle that would like swing back and forth if you tilted your wrist. Uh, it's absolutely hilarious the types of stuff that gets sold to people during wartime if you want like a really funny honest slightly terrifying perspective on that you should read um the essay war is a racket by major general uh smedley butler super interesting yeah i'm sure it is yeah um so suffice it to say the dowsing rods did not find any explosives the explosives were present in a in a few occasions. Uh, the dowsing rods did not assist in their location. I honestly hope that, and this is terrible, and I never wish harm upon another person, but I, I kind of wish that the guy holding the dowsing rod stepped on a bomb and blew up. <laughs> I don't think it quite went like that, but it's very possible. All right, on to astrology. Astrology is kind of like the idea... You might have heard of the phrase as above, so below. Um, I think that comes from the Emerald Tablet of Hermes Trismegistus, which I also think is a fake thing. But um, the phrase is out there. And the idea is um, that what's happening in the sky or in the stars in some way controls or manipulates or affects what's happening here on Earth. And so people will like look at the stars and read the stars and try and figure out what will sort of happen with people or things that are happening on the earth based sure. on astrological events. The, the most exposure that I really have to astrology is people telling me like, oh, you're such a Scorpio and I have no idea what that means. Or I recently learned and then promptly forgot what it is when a planet is in retrograde. Yep. That's about my understanding of it as well. Personal feelings like astrology or like zodiac signs or the the stuff that you read in your like daily horoscope is so vague that it could really apply to anyone it really is um tarot let's talk tarot tarot is going to be one that we talk a bit more about later as well it is so we shouldn't go into a whole lot of detail about it now but essentially tarot's these interesting set of cards that help you figure out things about the future or about yourself or about someone else or about someone else help you interpret the world uh, yeah. rune casting very similar uh and we will also be discussing that in the few in the in the next little bit in this episode yeah runes are um 
either stone or bone or wood, and they have uh, a symbolic alphabet carved into them. They're used for answering questions or divining the future. Sometimes even magic. They can be used as sigils, which we'll talk about that in another episode. Maybe in our tools of the trade episode. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yes. Uh, Talking boards, spirit boards, uh, brand name Ouija boards. I'm pretty sure those are way too prone to subconscious intervention. Absolutely. Um, or like there's that game that kids are playing these days called Charlie Charlie, where you put like a plus sign on a piece of paper and it says like yes or no or something like that. And you put a pencil on it and you ask a question and ultimately some kid just blows the pencil and it answers the question or something like that. Uh, Who's Charlie? I made... What's that? Who's Charlie? Uh, the devil. Charlie Charlie is like the devil, I guess. I don't know. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I made my own spirit boards when I was a kid. Actually had some like horrifying. I made a spirit board for some kids across the street and like their dad found it and flipped the shit and broke it in half and left it on my front porch. And my stepdad flipped a shit on me and dragged me to the backyard and screamed at me for like 30 minutes. Um, Classy guy. Yeah, he was a dick. But I think maybe there is something to spirit boards. Uh, There's a really interesting last podcast on the left episode about it. Maybe something to it. Maybe not. Again, it's just like another method of interacting with whatever else is out there. It's very possible that there are methods of divination that I'm just not personally very compatible with. (laughs) Like different folks are good at different things. I agree. It definitely depends on your personality and your, your inclinations, I think. It does. So if I'm poo-pooing something, that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't work across the board. It, it typically means that it doesn't work for me. And likewise. Um, next on our list, palmistry. Uh, the reading and interpretation of the lengths of different lines on the palm of the hand. I know nothing about that. I know that one of them is called a lifeline. To my understanding, it's never been used to rescue anyone. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's supposed to be the the length of your life. It's also something to do with your personal health. There's also the love line, which is nearby, and a few other, like basically any line on your hands actually maps to something. You could pick up a book on palmistry. Um, You can also learn a little bit about it in um, Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft. Buckland does a bit of everything in there. He does. It's It's a good, like, general overview of a lot of different things it doesn't go into like a lot of detail about anything but that's okay general overview of a lot of things which i think is really good having a quick reference like that is is really important yeah it's also a good jumping point for people to like figure out what they're interested in and then you can like seek other resources from there which i think is really sure nice. but yeah palmistry not a thing i use also uh it's not entirely about the lines too um you can like feel people's hands in certain spots and that's just more kind of reading the physical structure of their hands to figure out stuff about them. That's sort of more okay. like a cold reading kind of thing. But yeah. I could see that. All um, right. Onward. Onward. Pendulums. Pendulums. I don't really like these things. As my friend Julia recently uh, described it, you can kind of get the thing to change directions uh, just by thinking about it. So I feel it's really open to unconscious manipulation or even conscious manipulation, hope hopefulness wishful thinking you can sure play with a pendulum a little bit you can get it to do whatever you want without really moving your hand at all but generally the idea was if it rocks forward and back like nodding your head it means yes 
if it goes side to side it means no and then you could also use it to like try and find something you've lost like it'll hmm. spin in that direction or wave in that direction um, i've seen like map uh combined with pendulum for scrying but uh, yeah. that tends to be more hollywood than it does actual practice yeah i know nothing about that but i believe it's out there i'm sure it's out there um speaking of out there are we talking numerology today i honestly there are people that are really into numerology there are i'm not into numerology i don't like it i think it's wacky um but basically all the numbers one or zero through nine mean something particular and then um you can like add up numbers to achieve smaller numbers to reach certain outcomes for things i don't know it's somebody once tried to tell me that uh based on my birth month and birthday that i would have various personality traits yeah that's um, a thing too or like figuring out what personal element of the four like classical elements you're most attuned to turkey I'm most attuned to elemental turkey hmm i like turkey i also like turkey thus my personal attunement to elemental turkey the uh the secret sixth element Mm, yummy because the fifth element is boron i thought the fifth element was mia jovovich i guess that depends on how you want to interpret the fifth element Mm. the sixth element is turkey (laughs) definitely uh let's talk about the i ching or the i ching yeah however it's pronounced i ching i ching um i always hear it pronounced i ching it's a bunch of chinese symbols i think originally carved on bones later on coins i believe later on coins there's books for it um there's like a whole bunch of different setups for how to use it it's essentially used for divination it's also known as the book of changes and it's one of the oldest of the ancient chinese classic pieces of i guess literature or texts however you want to refer to it comes from roughly 1000 to 750 bce there's a lot more like chinese recordings from before that period of time i suppose yeah i believe there are but it's, doing it's stuff like for one a of while. The, the classic books i guess it is I don't know. um scrying we're gonna go into more detail on scrying later in this episode also uh, but it is essentially staring at some surface with a relaxed mind and awaiting a vision yep and we're gonna say nothing more about that for now because we're gonna go into more detail in a bit truth Automatic writing is interesting. Basically, the idea is to enter a trance or spirit possession. And you just have like a pen and paper or, you know, whatever writing utensil. Maybe you're drawing in sand, dirt. I don't care. Then like a question is asked or you have a question in mind and you allow um, yourself to be a conduit, an empty vessel for this spirit or whatever to just start at bringing out answers, um, writing down information. And then when you're out of that trance, you interpret whatever was written down. Okay. Automatic um, drawing is a variation of that too. So that I've seen a lot more of. Yeah. Um, dream interpretation, sort of like a, a more passive divination. We've briefly, briefly touched on here, uh, the foundational piece of it, which has to do with recording dreams. 
Um, but we haven't really talked about interpreting dreams. Yeah. And so there, there are all kinds of books out there that you can get um, about interpreting the symbolism of your dreams. Losing your teeth is a really common one. Dreams where teeth are lost is supposed to imply like a stressful decision you have to make or some kind of change on the horizon or something like that. Um, but there are all kinds of different symbols and dreams. And that's really up to you to kind of interpret on your own. You might also mm-hmm. like look into uh, Jungian archetypes and maybe read, um, I think it's called Man and His Symbols by Carl Jung. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Next on our list is tassiography or tassiomancy uh, involving looking at the dregs of tea leaves left over in a teacup uh, related, not quite identical uh, to some of these other divination methods. I don't drink tea. Uh, no, nobody I tend to be real close to drinks tea. Oh, I drink and, tea. Okay. Well, you live across the country from me, so nobody literally close to me drinks tea. But most of the people that I know that do drink tea, uh, they steep their tea in tea bags as opposed to putting leaves right in the cup or using a diffuser. Uh, so I guess tassiomancy is something you really have to be purposeful about. Like you got to make tea a certain way to do this. Uh, I don't know how incredibly useful it is anymore. Although if you are interested in it, uh, there are some cool symbolic things involved. And they sell like fancy pants teacups, especially for tassiomancy. Uh, There are Eastern and Western schools of practice. Uh, For the Western end of it, there's a fascinating book called Teacup Reading and Fortune Telling by Tea Leaves by a Highland Seer. And that's not the person's name. It's not, they're not named Highland Seer. It's just some dude who was a seer in the Scottish Highlands. It's like their title of who wrote this relatively anonymous book. Huh. That's interesting. Um, I also think that when you're doing um, tassiomancy, you are not supposed to drink the tea when you're done. So I think like the tea is sort of a sacrifice. I thought you were supposed to drink the tea and then the stuff that was left in the cup was what you used to do the reading. Huh. Well, clearly we're not experts on this method. We are not. (laughs) We are not. And so those are just some of the most common forms of divination you might bump into. Um, They're like almost countless variations and other things out there. There's medieval ones like cutting open an animal and watching the pattern the entrails spill out into. So if you get on Wikipedia and look up the article methods of divination, you will find a list of literally hundreds of different methods for reading the future. I'm pretty sure that doesn't mean that there are hundreds of methods of telling the future so much as it means that people will read patterns and meaning into just about anything. Like, what did that poor sheep ever do to you? Yeah, that's fair. But also, like, keep an open mind and remember that, you know, whatever works for you works. So just, you know, be creative and do, you know, do what you can. Be intellectually responsible to yourselves. Yes. Do things that you can see have results, but maintain a healthy skepticism. Right. And that's what that's what that journal is for. So yeah, be sure to use that thing. Definitely do. So let's talk about uh, famous historical diviners and mediums. All right. So first one on our list is the Oracle of Delphi and yep. or Delphi. Um, 
and she was, I believe, a priestess of Athena. I thought Apollo at Delphi. Oh, you might be right. Um, anyway, she was, was a priestess was, of the ancient Greek involved. tradition. Yeah, I'm sorry. What was that? Uh, I think the the one of the first ones was Pythia, and there was a serpent involved. It was Apollo related. I don't know all the details anymore. I used to be a real mythology buff, but that time has passed, and I'm old and sad now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so she would she was in this cave and her chair was up over this crack in the earth and modern records suggest that this crack in the earth was a natural nitrous oxide vein and if you've ever inhaled nitrous oxide before oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so if you've ever done nitrous oxide before either recreationally or your dentist has given it to you as laughing gas you know that the effects of nitrous oxide are very euphoric and borderline hallucinogenic and just generally trippy and so what she would do is get asked questions by people and she would go up in her chair and huff all of this uh, nitrous oxide flying out of this crack in the earth and have visions or become divinely inspired and give prophecy so that's the oracle of delphi that's a method it's a method uh merlin classic historical diviner uh supposedly he was based on uh saxon or a celtic shaman uh merlin uh homeboy had like a bunch of d's in his name because welsh is loopy bananas yeah it was like merdin or meredith or i think something like that merlin though because the DD in Welsh is an L. Oh, you're right. Of course it is. Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, so Merlin was not just um, from the Arthurian legends. Like, supposedly there is evidence that this was an actual person. He did not have, like, sorcery-like magical powers, but was probably a, a Celtic shaman or someone like that. Possibly a storyteller as well. Oh, quite probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Edgar Casey, American, late 1800s. He was the dude that talked about Akashic Records, I believe. Yeah. Do you know what the Akashic Records was? Like the collective uh, invisible library of all knowledge and understanding contained within the universe. Yeah, the entire universe. Yeah, it's pretty pretty trippy stuff. Supposedly, you can reach that place like through astral projection or uh, states of trance and stuff like that. I, I wonder what uh, the librarians are like in the Akashic record. Uh, hopefully like, nothing check like out. the... Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully nothing like the ones at my high school. They were not nice. Uh, I was going to say hopefully nothing like the librarians in Welcome to Night Vale, but... Um, <laughs> That's also probably not great. Yeah, no. Uh, I actually had an experience that I believe was tapping into the akashic records but we're gonna leave that for a future episode on entheogenic substance use sure but edgar casey made a lot of prophecies and a lot of help actually helped a lot of people during his time period and helped people find cures to illnesses they were having and you know achieve closure for life events and all kinds of things so he was a pretty interesting uh historical case of uh, an American psychic or diviner. Um, Nostradamus, classic. Uh, French, of course. Early 1500s to mid-1500s. He had several books of prophecy uh, in various forms of rhyme and meter. Yeah, he um, 
apparently predicted all kinds of things from the rise of the Nazis, the atomic bomb. Some people claim the attacks on the Twin Towers in the United States uh, on 9-11, possibly the end of the world, uh, all kinds of stuff, really. Uh, Everybody and their cousin says the end of the world is coming. I'm not convinced. Yeah, well, look at the current uh, climate change and maybe. (laughs) Well, we've got like 30 years until it's totally irreversible and we're all just going to melt. The end of our world. The cockroaches will inherit the earth. Truth. All right, we got Ingo Swan, who... um, if you are into uh, controlled remote viewing and you consider that a uh, form of divination, Ingo Swan was pretty heavily involved in that. That might be more in the realm of like astral projection, which is a topic for another episode. But yeah. I think he was like involved in the United States government's experiments with like mind control and uh, psychic stuff like mk ultra and the experiments that came later and like the fbi's attempted uses of remote viewing as a form of spying or information gathering information gathering yeah something like that it would be probably safer yes if it was reliable (laughs) if it was reliable it would probably be safer than traditional field craft oh certainly yeah, one of my friends in college and I tried doing some controlled remote viewing experiments. We actually got a copy of Inga Swan's book, and I forget what it's called off the top of my head. But uh, we were like, we'd call each other or text each other and be like, all right, there's a object set up in X room of my house, go. And we'd try and uh, get an impression of it and text back. And we got mixed results, but sometimes we hit, and that was pretty cool. Mixed results is better than no results. That's true. If we're going to talk about famous diviners from history, we're going to have to talk about some of the uh, frauds. Yeah, totally. Um, Ms. Cleo comes to mind. Classic from like when we were kids growing up, right? When we were kids, uh, we see the commercials on TV called yeah. Ms. Cleo's Psychic Hotline. But yeah, she had a hotline and then eventually she like did commercials and shit too, I think. Like like I not think for so. herself, but for like car dealerships and stuff. Which is a career path, I guess. Yeah. Uh John Edwards. Oh yeah, crossing over with John Edwards. Crossing over with John Edwards. Um King of the Cold Reed. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely King absolutely. of the Cold Absolutely. Yeah, he would um, get for people not familiar, John Edwards had a show where he claimed to uh contact people's dead loved ones yep. and he would bring people up on stage and like help them get closure on events in their life by relating or relaying information um from people's dead loved ones to themselves I hear, it was bunk it was entirely bunk oh absolutely it was um, he would fake. have people fill out people. cards beforehand yeah yeah i hear and i haven't seen this but i hear there are blooper reels from that show that can be found on youtube that uh, sounds delightful I would love to watch that at some point. That sounds great. Uh, If we're going to talk about fakes, let's talk about James Randi for a quick moment. My boy, James Randi, former stage magician, professional scientific skeptic, which speaks to me. I can't really help but appreciate that. He put up a prize pool uh, for any medium psychic uh, remote viewer, whatever, who could prove their ability in controlled conditions as better than statistically average. All right. Um, a bunch of folks tried his stuff out. Uh, Uri Geller, the psychic spoonbender dude, Peter Popoff, the faith healer, uh, Jacques Benavis' unrepeatable experiments on homeopathy. Dude's kind of a legend in terms of 
high profile skepticism and rational thought. We just mentioned John Edwards. John Edwards outright refused to undergo James Randi's $1 million challenge to prove paranormal abilities. Uh, it did kind of backfire for Uri Geller. Uh, he talked about on the TV show where they did this test, where they were trying to make him do the same tricks that he would do with his own prepared equipment using someone else's unprepared equipment. He would talk about how he was feeling weak, uh, how he wasn't in the right place to do the work. That guy got a big reputation boost because some people are real weird sometimes. But I'm going to stand by my boy James Randi for scientific methodology, even in the face of lunatic TV watchers. True that. All right. We've talked about methods of divination. We've talked about some classic examples of maybe fact and fraud. Sure. So what about like, why might someone use divination? Why the heck might someone get involved in this stuff? Well, before you do any specific work, you probably want to ask some advice from people that might know what's up. I think that's fair. Yeah. Fellow practitioners, your local faith leader, friends, I guess friends and family, if they're involved family. in that at all. Yeah. Going beyond that, maybe you want to ask like um, some otherworldly advice. Like from, uh, I don't know, a dead person or a spirit or a god. Sure. Which, oddly enough, probably falls under the blanket category of divination. Indeed. You could also just, some people interpret it as just like receiving impressions from the universe or how like Buckland and Carol described it as like, I don't know, I guess you would call that universal interaction, right? uh, Interrupting those ripples in space time or Or at least reading them. Yeah. Yeah, not inter- maybe not interrupting, but yeah, like observing them. Sure. All right. Um, do you have like do you you personally do you have like a favorite type of divination that you kind of go to? Yeah, that's a good question. I use different things for different purposes. Tarot is a go-to for a number of reasons. I find it really useful for the psychological model because it is very much up to interpretation. Sure. There's so much symbolism drawn into, especially the Rider Waite tarot or the um, the Aleister Crowley tarot. If you you know get really practiced in tarot and move into that direction, sure. um, it's also random and requires very little work beyond a little knowledge of the cards and the symbolism contained therein. I also like the use of the tarot when making sigils. Um, or if I desire a clear present, past, present, future type narr- narrative for some okay. kind of path working or other ritual that I'm about to undertake. I went through a tarot phase. Uh, it didn't really stick with me. Honestly, I'm not much of a diviner in general, as it's probably abundantly clear by this point in the episode. Um, but I have a loose background in some of the basics of it. And the core of my personal magical practice is basically an imaginary Tim Gunn in my head saying, make it work. Uh, and then I'll just try something out and see if it sticks. Yeah, that's fair. You know, despite really liking symbolism and symbols and making my own sigils all the time and really kind of being creepy and liking bones, sure. I'm not into using runes. Okay. I think runes themselves are pretty cool. I don't know much about their practical use. When I was growing up, the library at my synagogue had some weird books uh, that had stuff like the angelic alphabet, which I'm sure has some context and meaning beyond what my 14-year-old self understood. But in retrospect, it was just another runic transpositive alphabet that was largely based on English. 
Like if there were angels kicking around, I don't think they spoke English nor based their alphabet on it. Yeah, I heard a story. Uh, I think it was a YouTube documentary recently that involved angelic and how two guys had made like a spirit board type thing to interpret stuff sent down by angels and that's how they invented the angelic language but the documentary concluded that they were more likely not actual occultists but pretending to be occultists while spying in another country so that's a method yeah maybe um layers to that one yeah maybe angelic is totally made up but the interesting thing about that is like i think you can totally make shit up and still have it work as long as you like use it in the right way like there's that part in um, uh, the Invisibles, Grant Morrison, where uh, the main character does a summoning ritual and summons John Lennon for divination because, like, he decides John Lennon has all the characteristics of a god this day and age. So, okay, you know, you can make shit up I mean, and make it work. Absolutely, and I think making it up and rolling with it is sort of a a foundational piece of especially chaos magical practice and we'll talk a bit more about that next episode when we get into the tools of the trade but in this case an an alphabet could very well be a tool and if you make it up if you purpose build it for something you've consecrated whatever that tool is to whatever your purpose is there's no reason it shouldn't work yeah absolutely i agree i'm vaguely familiar with angelic um it was one of the earliest magical or symbolic languages I actually learned about. Buckland's okay. book includes it, um, as well as the Futhark runes. And it's an elder other... or younger Futhark? Oh, good question. I think elder. I'd have to double okay. check. I don't know as much about younger Futhark. There are a few other systems um, people look at and play with. Nowadays, I prefer to make up my own sigils and use a combination of symbolism and just plain old English letters. Sure. Otherwise, I really like scrying. Um, almost anything will work. Fire, I'm a big fan of naturally, especially of a course. big one. It's really primal. I feel like it activates a more animalistic or like tribal part of my brain that's like deep down in there and connected with the spiritual nature of things. Somewhere back in your lizard brain. Yeah, somewhere back there. Reflective surfaces for scrying, black mirrors, crystals, pools of water, etc., are really great. There are also methods of using um, these for like attacking other people that Carol talks about in um, Libranol. Uh, I've never played with this. No, me neither. Yeah. Even uh, really the dark canvas of the back of my eyelids in a dark, silent place, sort of like sensory deprivation kind of point in space time is really effective for me as well. Okay. Real quick, let's have an interlude. We haven't had an interlude since, gosh. Last episode was the last time we had an interlude. Truth. So today's episode is brought to you by the moon. Yes, the moon. Made of neither green cheese nor of spare ribs, the moon is one of the major arcana in tarot. So let's talk about what it means. Right side up, the moon references fear, illusion, anxiety. It can also reference the subconscious and intuition. Upside down... The moon can mean release from fear, confusion, anxiety, and delusions. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you, the moon. And that's uh, wonderful because we're talking about tarot as one of our stuff to practice this week. We are. All right. Let's talk about beginning divination. Great. As you all know, I'm 
all about cast magic right now. So I'm going to heavily advocate for inhibitory methods of achieving gnosis in order to begin divination, which also means that we finally get to talk a little bit more about Gnosis itself. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Gnosis every episode until we and the folks listening kind of figure it out. I think that's probably fair. So if you remember from our last episode, we mentioned that Gnosis is really a magical state of single-pointed consciousness, uh, similar to trance or the state sought during Zen meditation. It is achievable through a variety of different avenues. There are two main paths to Gnosis, the excitatory path and the inhibitory path. And some of the ways of achieving the excitatory path would include sexual excitement, emotional arousal, pain, including things like mild masochism, to major masochism, uh, that suspension thing people do where they like hook themselves and like hang from the folds in their back, uh, self-flagellation, heavy dancing, um, drumming, chanting, forced breathing, like hyperventilation or other forms of timed breathing, sensory overload, excitatory drugs, including very mild hallucinogens, although Carol would poo-poo that a bit. Carol would. Carol does. Um, The inhibitory path, on the other hand, uh, magical trance, concentration, meditation, sleeplessness, fasting, physical and mental exhaustion, gazing, uh, hypnotic or trance-inducing drugs, sensory deprivation, that kind of thing. Please remember that any of these things you decide to engage in, you do of your own volition. We do not recommend or encourage you to take any specific route, and the outcomes of such choices are entirely on you as an individual of free will. Absolutely. we You're in full control of yourself. No one's telling you what to do. So That is the know. whole point of this podcast. All right, let's talk about the tarot a bit. Let's talk about the tarot. All right, it's a deck of about 78 cards. Actually, it's a deck of literally 78 cards yep. uh, steeped in esoteric symbolism, which can be used for divination, according to Modern Magic by Krieg. Krieg. The first time the word tarot can be found in historical reference is in 1332 by Alphonse the 11th, who banned them from his kingdom. They appear to have evolved from playing cards as a form of entertainment and a wide variety of different variations, including number of cards, their contents and symbolism have existed in different parts of the world at different times. But it wasn't until about the 19th century that um, they were exclusively being used for divination. Okay. So my personal beef with Krieg notwithstanding, the dude is something of an authority on historical tarot and divination practice. Uh, In any event, first things first, how do you pick the right deck? There are a bunch of them, and we really just want to focus on the one we think is the very best for beginners, Like, I think we may have discussed this a little in one of our two first episodes, uh, but basically you want to avoid all of the hokey, gimmicky crap out there, like Angel's Tarot or any of the weird theme decks. Like, I'm sure there's all sorts of stuff like Motorcycle Tarot or Steampunk Tarot or Punxsutawney Phil Tarot or whatever. Yeah, skip that shit. Uh, Start with the Rider Waite deck. It comes with a little guidebook on how to interpret the cards And that is incredibly valuable to the new diviner. And despite how like absolutely wonderful and beautiful. Frankly beautiful. Yes. It's just amazing. The Crowley deck is 
a wonderful deck of cards. It's way beyond beginners. I have it. It is way it. beyond beginners. It's way beyond me. I don't use it, but I love no. looking at it. It's just it's pretty cool. Awesome. So this is one of those things that unlike meditation, I highly recommend beginners don't just dive off the deep end. For me, meditation, you just go straight to the source and practice, practice, practice. But tarot, I really recommend Rider weight deck all the way. Start the Rider weight is where it's at to begin with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was actually at this uh, once a month event recently. I don't think I'm actually supposed to mention the name of it. It's a kind of really cool mobile underground uh, organic open mic thing that brings in all different kinds of performers in Portland. Anyway, one of the nights I was there, there was this gal who had recently written a book on poetry based on the tarot. Uh, Sorry, written a book of poetry based on the tarot Mm -hmm. and had a few tarot cards with her and invited people to come up on stage and select a card. And then based on the card they selected, she would read a poem about that tarot card that she had written okay Um, yeah it was really cool that is pretty Um, cool so her book was actually recently funded on kickstarter before i found out it about it otherwise i would have pre-ordered a copy um but it's called tarotry and essentially it is like any other book on the subject it's about how to read the tarot cards but it's all poetry instead of this means blah and this means blah um Anyway, if I bump into her again, I'll see if I can ask her about like being on the show and maybe we'll do just like a show about tarot and, and That'd talk be pretty about cool. it. I guess she's also part of an art collective called Arcana Obscura um, that you can follow on Insta, um, which may or may not give you an idea of when the official release of the book is coming, but I'm pretty excited to get to read it when it comes out, to be honest. Okay, let's talk about the structure of the tarot deck itself. Sure, let's do that. There are 78 cards of the tarot broken into two sections. There's the major and the minor arcana. And the major arcana are also associated with the Kabbalistic tree of life. Um, The minor arcana uh, usually consists of four suits, uh, swords, cups, pentacles, and wands. They're related to modern playing cards. Of course, the modern suits are different, you know, clubs, spades, hearts, diamonds. Uh, You also get some variation through history. Uh, with wands being a replacement for rods or staves, that sort of thing. Regardless, those are the big chunks of modern tarot. You've got swords, cups, pentacles, and wands, and then the major arcana. Yeah, Krieg actually has some really good methods for familiarizing yourself with the tarot deck. Krieg! Which I'm not going to reiterate here, but uh, realistically, you should spend some time looking at each of the cards and trying to get a good feel for the symbolism and whatever other impressions you may get off of them. Yeah, like draw them one at a time, lay them all out side by side, uh, refer to that guidebook from Rider Waite, really get a feel for all the cards. You got to take your time, you got to be thorough. The better a job you do at the beginning, the easier it'll be to start drawing and reading. Uh, The reverse meanings are frequently the opposite of what the card stands for right side up. If you decide you want to get into the tarot as your method of divination, I would recommend picking up a book dedicated to the topic and learning as much as you can about it. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Buckland has a couple recommendations in his book. He recommends uh, Eden Gray's book, uh, The Tarot Revealed, and Complete Guide to the Tarot. I haven't read either of those personally, so if you have or you want to recommend another good book on the topic, we'd love to hear from you. Also, there's that book Tarotry by Hannah Gotska from uh, Arcana Obscura coming out. 
Um, sometime. Sometime. We'll find out. Coming out sometime. Kickstarter says the ship date is September of 2019. So I assume that sometime after that, it'll be available for just regular purchase. Silver Ravenwolf discusses in a solitary... The Solitary Witch, just general some a little bit about the tarot. There's a section on it. Buckman discusses it briefly in Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft. Krieg discusses it in Modern Magic. There are countless other options. Um, Krieg. But hopefully that'll get you started. Okay. So let's talk about a basic three-card spread in tarot. Like All a right. basic tarot There are reading. so many different ways to lay out the tarot cards, otherwise known as spreads. We are not going to give you all of them or really more than we're going to give you. Yeah, we've been here for a long time. We're going to give you one, a a very basic method of reading cards. Uh, As Kevin mentioned, it's a three card spread. I learned this way back when I was in middle school around 2001 or 2002, sometime around there. I have no idea where I learned it, but I did use it with this silly Lord of the Rings tarot deck that I had. And I would use it during lunch and give kids readings during lunch. Ultimately, I like threw that deck into a swamp on my way walking home from school because, well, as a middle schooler, I started not liking the things I was reading. Uh, then I swore off tarot for a solid four or five years or so. Okay. Well, so let's go about how to conduct the reading. Uh, step one, uh, have whoever you're giving the reading for shuffle the cards. If it's you, then you shuffle the cards. If you're doing a reading for a friend, then have them shuffle the cards and then cut the deck, placing the top half on the bottom. Um, If you're doing the reading yourself, again, you would cut the cards. Otherwise, the other person would cut the cards. Uh, Some people say you should cut the deck into three sections and pick them up in a specific order. It doesn't really matter. It's it's important that the deck is randomized. As long as you shuffle and then cut the deck, you're fine. Uh, while the shuffling and cutting is taking place, the person who the reading is for, also the person doing the shuffling, should be thinking about or repeating out loud, if they're comfortable doing so, whatever the question they're trying to answer is. Okay, so step two, draw three cards off the top of the deck. This is the job of the reader. If you're doing the reading for someone else, uh, then you will place the cards from starting at the right. Yeah, right to left. Right to left. So yeah. first one on the right, second one in the middle, third one on the left. If you're doing the reading for yourself, do this in reverse order. So from left to right. Uh, the reason for this is because this is a past, present, future spread. So the card should always be face down when you start, and then you're going to flip them over in order. Speaking of which, step three, you flip over the first card and you interpret it. So again, for you, that'll be the card on the left. For someone else, it'll be the card on the right. And that card represents the past. And then the next card will represent the present. And then the final card will represent the future. And that's sometimes where some of the answers come in uh, based on how you interpret the cards. And that's pretty much it. Uh, I want to make I want to make a note there real quick. When you're flipping cards, do not flip them end to end. You want to flip them from the side to side no. because if you flip them from end to end, you are reversing the card. Right. No, you you flip them on the on the long edge, not on the short edge. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, you just need to make sure that you're familiar with your deck before you do any readings. Uh, a lot of it is about interpretation, so make sure you understand a lot of the symbolism that you're dealing with. 
you can even keep your guidebook around just to refer to as you're doing a reading. Um, but if tarot is going to be your bread and butter form of divination, get a couple books on it and really learn more about it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you definitely learn as much about whatever craft you're you're getting involved in as you can, whether that's, you know, tarot divination or blacksmithing or whatever. Sure. I have a bunch yeah, of books on blacksmithing. Let us talk about runes. Runes. I make these uh, leather runes and rune, leather rune casting mats that I saw on my Etsy. Um, that's Etsy. Uh, the shop name is Magic and Metal. Magic spelled with a CK. And uh, the, the and is just the letter N. So Magic and Metal. And they're pretty nifty. Uh, I've sold a few of them. You could also totally check out uh, some of the other stuff that I produce, produce in my off time. I make some really nifty uh, leather and metalwork. While I'm pointing this out, I'm just going to go plug the rest of my stuff. <laughs> my Facebook is facebook.com slash magic and metal, spelled exactly the same way as the Etsy, magic with a CK, N instead of and. And then my Insta is magic and metal, uh, no K and the magic and and spelled out like the word and i know that's a little confusing but you get what you get because you can't always get the account name that you want let's talk about history a little bit all right uh hit me what are runes we just don't know ding no but seriously um according to silver ravenwolf in solitary witch runes come from teutonic peoples we're talking mostly northern europe scandinavia iceland after the collapse of the Roman Empire, Germany as well. Uh, they are believed to have been developed 2,400 to 2,500 years ago because they were adapted into a number of other cultures post-collapse of Rome. There are a few flavors and varieties of them out there. Uh, for the most part, you will come across uh, Germanic runes known as Futhark, Elder or Younger, uh, so named after the first six letters in that alphabet, uh, according to Buckland. Yeah, and there are many of variations. Um, there's the Danish runes, the Swedish North Norse runes, uh, Scandinavian, Anglo-Saxon, Siax Wiccan, and even a modern type of symbolic language called witch's runes. Uh, those are referenced in some of Silver Ravenwolf's work. They're also out there in a few other places, but again... I have literally never seen them. I've seen them before. I've never used them. I've never even really read about them. I've just seen them in places. Uh, okay. That's, again, that's fine. Whatever works, use it. Um, you could also consider playing with Egyptian hieroglyphics if that really interests you. And all of these, except for the witch's runes, are pretty neatly laid out in Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft, though the section on Egyptian hieroglyphics is pretty limited. That's not surprising. That's that's a lot of material. It's so much material. So if you're really into um, ancient Egypt and Egyptian magic, um, you're going to want to pick up a book on hieroglyphics, probably get yourself a translated or preferably a side-by-side -side translation, the original text next to uh, your native language, um, copy of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Look into Aleister Crowley's work on Egyptian ritual and possibly look into the book Ancient Egyptian Divination and Magic by Eleanor L. Harris. And I actually have that book, but I haven't read through it completely. But um, it seems to have some interesting content there. All right. Well, runes and really any symbolic language can be used like sigils to do magical work, to create talismans and amulets, whole bunch more. 
we'll talk more about that in tools of the trade. Yeah. But uh, let's stick to divination. That's, that's a topic for the future. Yeah. So how about some thoughts on using the runes? What do we do with them? Using runes. Okay. So to my understanding, you want to sit in a quiet place, preferably dimly lit. You enter a meditative state or a Gnostic state. Uh, you formulate your question while mixing the runes inside a bag with one hand. And after you've properly formulated your question, you draw a single rune from the bag, uh, which, following your interpretation of that rune, should provide some answer to your question. Uh, you can also do a past, present, future type drawing with the runes, following a similar method to what we were talking about with tarot, where you would do your shuffle and your layout and your spread kind of the same way and just interpret each rune as you go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to make or buy carved wooden stone or bone runes, uh, you can do that. Or leather. Or leather, yeah. Come buy my leather runes. If you don't want to do any of that, you can also make rune cards. Um, you can shuffle and draw them similar to tarot cards. Just make sure you have all of the runes in your deck from whatever system you're using. Index cards work just fine or cardstock. Um, if you want to go all out, you can buy blank playing cards or flashcards, usually sold for the purpose of making like your own games. You can get those online. I have a set or a, you know a box full um, that I originally bought for uh, illusionary magic, you know, magic without the K, tricks and such. Lowercase, lowercase magic. magic. Yes. Uh, they hold up pretty well. Um, they'll take permanent marker without running or smudging, and they look pretty clean and professional. So you could, you could pick those up. Let's talk about scrying. Ooh, I love scrying. What do you want to nice. talk about scrying? All right. So when it comes to scrying, there's a whole bunch of different methods, a bunch of different ways to go about it. Um, looking into a fire is very classic, trying to see a vision in either the flames or in the smoke above the fire. Um, a crystal ball or any other kind of highly polished crystal. Uh, a Hawaiian mirror, so black stone basin with water. Uh, gazing into a pool of water or oil. Uh, Silver Ravenwolf mentions colored glass bottle. I've never tried that. Neither have I, sure but I, I saw it in um, one of her books, and it seems sure. like it would work just fine. Basically anything with a deep and or reflective surface. Which basically means you can use your lover's eyes or the surface of your TV after the power goes out because you're not paying the bills while being too obsessed with the occult to leave your house. Or don't you know, don't do that. <laughs> there are probably other cheaper ways Indeed. to go about this. Uh, Although you could scry into why the TV is out, assuming that the reason isn't you didn't pay the power bill. True. Uh, you could also use shop windows or the windows of the bus or on the train, especially when they're covered with little rain droplets. That might be fun. Basically, you can use any reflective surface with some kind of depth or you know overlapping patterns yeah something like that sure uh, scrying is one of the types of divination where you really should enter gnosis before you do it uh tarot and rune casting you can be a little bit more freeform a little loosey-goosey with the rules uh, but scrying is a little more serious so your meditation practice will come in handy here uh remember that based on what we are talking about our more chaos magic focused practice we are focusing on the inhibitory rather than excitatory methods of entering a Gnostic state. For this specifically. Sure, for this. Um, it's also ideal when starting out to have nothing distracting you or nothing 
around you that could potentially be distracting. So be in a dark or dimly lit space, have a plain backdrop behind whatever it is you're using as a scrying device. Uh, your light source should be behind you unless you're scrying directly into a fire. Also make sure the item is fingerprint, scratch, chip, dent free. Those kind of imperfections will distract you. In Condensed Chaos, Phil Hine also recommends burning incense as agents to help you relax and meditate prior to attempting scrying. I'm gonna recommend sandalwood. Mm, I love sandalwood. The next step is to center yourself and then go through your preferred process of entering Gnosis. There are a few different places your article for scrying can be. Uh, in your lap, on the floor in front of you, on a slightly raised surface. Whatever it is, make sure both you and it are comfortable. And at this point, you're just going to stare at the surface of your object of choice. You don't want to force it. You want to be relaxed. You want to allow whatever vision you're going to receive to enter your head. Yeah, basically what you are up to is letting your eyes go out of focus and trying to enter a different uh, state of brain waves. So there's um, alpha, beta, theta, and delta waves, if I remember correct. That sounds right. Yeah, and so you're trying to enter... I know delta waves involve a great deal of sleep. Delta, yeah, delta is like deep sleep. So I think what you're trying yeah. to do is enter theta, I think. I don't know enough about sleep. Yeah, I'll have to, to double waves. check and reference that. But basically, you're trying to enter a lower brainwave state, like a more relaxed, kind of where you're slightly daydreamy, kind of just like off meditative sort of brainwave state. Okay. And when this happens, you'll observe visual distortions which may include dots of light or clouds or colored ink, according to Silver Ravenwolf, or really anything else. It's kind of based on your own personality. But what you need to do is stay relaxed and open, and this will eventually lead to your vision, which may be literally or figurative, um, and it may be incredibly visual or something that happens in your brain, sort of like a stroke of insight or inspiration. Sure. You are going to have to practice this over and over uh, with a fair bit of diligence in order to get something out of it. Like you're not just going to hop in and get something out of scrying the first time conveniently and easily. Uh, you're kind of training up your extrasensory abilities here and that doesn't really come easily. But Buckland suggests that you do not try for more than 10 minutes at a time per attempt because you really don't want to burn out on this. Absolutely. Kevin, do you have any more thoughts or musings on divination because i think that really brings us to the closing of our notes it does so uh gentle listeners a reminder for all of you visit us on facebook visit us on instagram visit us on twitter make bird noises at us we're really excited to keep on working and we hope that you get involved i think we're gonna try and open up a patreon page somewhere here in the near future um i do a bit of screen printing so maybe i'll put together some t-shirts or uh, that'd be cool other i don't know patches or something cool that we can send you guys for contributing we'd love to keep the show like ad free if we can we um but also this takes a lot of our time and uh honestly some of us would love to quit our day jobs so um you know we'll, we'll keep you posted on on that front. thoughts for the future yeah, thoughts for the future but uh that's about what we got for you today all right well next week we're gonna take a break from praxis 
to discuss tools of the trade, which I'm really excited about. We get to talk about all the that's one of my favorite fun things. things we get to play with, all the magical toys. Oh yes. But for now, go forth and practice, friends. Expand your minds. Keep good notes. Seek all the knowledge you can. So mote it be. So mote it be. So mote it be. Thrice bound and done. Until next time, listeners, fools, march on. Peace.